Chapter 14 Tantrum Taking the time to clean up and remove all traces of blood that covered my clothing and hands from healing Cedric, as well as brushing my teeth to remove the lingering taste of vomit, I began to feel more like myself and less like a victim. As I showered, I tried to process and come to terms with everything that had happened to me in what, for me, had not even been a day. There really was no alternative but to accept that this was my life from now on. Magic, kidnapping, murder attempts, time displacement. Hopefully things would calm down, but I didn't think that was going to be the case. I was beginning to get the feeling that S-Prime had set me up, and the reason that Carrot and I had retained all of our memories was that there was knowledge from my past life that would be instrumental in figuring out what was going on. Granted, I may be missing the bigger picture. I mean, even if my intellect had gotten a boost with my new level, it was still pretty insignificant compared to an entity that regulated the multiverse. But events pointed towards the fact that S-Prime manipulated events to get me to this place, in this position, and at this time. I mean, wasn't it convenient that I just happened to have enough karmic points to purchase an upgrade and be placed in a world where system announcements would broadcast my location and identity to the entire world. That of all the species, S-Prime narrowed the choice down so that there was no real choice left. A sea prince or a servant? Who would be able to resist? I couldn't get over the feeling I'd been set up. But as I was drying off, I concluded there was nothing to be done about it. Yes, S-Prime probably used me, but so what? What choice did I have but to be used at this point? Even before the system released that world broadcast, events had begun to move beyond my control. I was a pawn, an ethereal bit of floatsome that crossed paths with cosmic powers. I was confident that events were set in motion and would continue to move forward no matter how I fought against them. So the smart thing to do was to make sure I was strong enough, knowledgeable enough, and is smart enough not to be immured by attacks and manipulations, no matter where or how they originated. Maybe forming a court might not be a bad idea. I couldn't keep relying on others for protection. If I wanted to take control of my destiny, I needed to stop following orders and chart my own course. The first step towards meeting these requirements might not be forming my court, but it was definitely part of the framework for independence I envisioned. I needed to find people that were talented and loyal, and maybe use the system to bind their loyalty to protect me from betrayal. I also needed to find a permanent home, a way to make some serious money to pay retainers and staff, and somehow find the most efficient way to continue leveling up. S-Prime had given me a great start, power and level-wise, but if I really was going to have to deal with the minions of gods, maybe even those gods themselves, I needed to get much more powerful than I currently was. And somehow, I had a feeling political intrigue from the Seelie and Unseelie royals was going to influence my decisions and choices soon. Lord Kel or Thom were innocuous nobles, relegated to a poor, out-of-the-way fiefdom. As I encountered higher-ranked individuals and began to traverse the murky waters of politics, found within the capital there were certain to be more experienced and highly ranked individuals 
that were going to do their best to stymie me or try to recruit me to their cause. I admit, my expectations of the Sealy was biased. So far, I wasn't really impressed with what I knew of the faction or the ranked. Their bigotry towards Carrot didn't sit well with my middle American equality for all values, and I refused to renounce the values that I had formed on Earth. All people had worth. Sometimes, you just had to encourage them for that worth to bloom. The bag of holding that Parsifal had left for me wasn't spacious, but it was large enough to contain the garments I'd commissioned. I took the time to change into the clothes I'd commissioned from the tailor six weeks ago. The tailor had done a masterful job creating clothing for me, and the heretic device he'd embroidered was amazing. He hadn't gone for the cliché phoenix or fire-breathing dragon as my house device. He'd incorporated a horse-drawn chariot of fire running across the heavens. An homage to Belarus and his chariot of fire, I wondered? The similarities existed between Belarus, Apollo the Olympian god of sun, and Sol, the Norse god of sun. All were depicted riding and controlling a horse-drawn chariot. I thought the heraldic device a propos, and was very pleased that the tailor had managed to produce such an intricate and detailed device that looked amazing even when miniaturized. I thought the device was even more appropriate as a spit in the eye of those other pantheons. I would embrace and make that symbol mine. And whatever S-Prime's plan or scheme was, I would work to transcend the limitations and expectations he had placed on me. Like the sun, I would rise and meet my destiny, blazing with fury and glorious splendor. Wow, that was just a bit over the top. I wonder if the heraldic device was enchanted for plus to ego and swollen head stats. Taking one last glance in the mirror to make sure everything was in place, I gave my tunic one final tug before exiting the ensuite and heading for the exit. Major Domo Tully quickly moved to precede me deftly signaling the guards to surround and follow as he led the way to the main floor and a room he had readied. I was underwhelmed and insulted once we arrived. This heraldic device may have really added plus stats to my ego because I was infuriated when I saw the room I had been shown. Oh, it was functional. There was a desk and a few chairs, but there was also storage and shelves for laundry and uniforms. I assumed the office doubled as the head of household's office. It was a room more suited for servants and staff than print, and it was a direct insult to my rank. I doubted very much that Major Domo would have chosen this room without being given direct orders, and I knew, knew, this was done because Lord Kell and Lady Patricia believed, even with my new rank, that I was still the naive, grateful Oddhark willing to accept any crumb of affection. Still, that neglected young man had scurried around in the shadows trying desperately not to offend anyone, afraid that the Lord's son would begrudge him even the smallest courtesy. While Oddhark was dead, I knew my worth, even if Carrot didn't, and I refused to be subjected to these games. I could just imagine the reputation loss I would have with any prospective vassals or staff, if I conducted interviews in this room. And that was probably the point for selecting this space. 
Lord Cal's attempt to defuse the loss of reputation by highlighting just how little I knew. After all, how could he be expected to fulfill his duties as host if I was so stupid to not know a prince rated better than a storage closet to greet guests? Major Domo Tully, whose face at least looked embarrassed, refused to meet my eyes and was painfully silent. It would seem I wasn't being taken seriously, and it was time that changed. Lord Kell and Lady Patricia wish to make a statement, so I will make one in return, I said, fury apparent in my voice. My Belarus aura exploded, pulsing in concert with and mimicking my heartbeat. The pounding and pulsing fluctuations of power grew exponentially as my anger refused to stay contained. Turning from the room, I strode purposely down the halls, glancing indifferently in each room I passed as I searched. It didn't take long. The passage and layout were logical in progression, and I soon found my way to the foyer. Major Domo Tully and the guards were frantically attempting to keep up, asking where I was going, what I was doing, but I no longer cared what they had to say, and I refused to participate in the charade they had orchestrated. Flinging the main doors open, I paused briefly at the sight that greeted me. An inordinate amount of people who gathered to meet with me were waiting to gain entrance to the ambassador's palace. Young, old, poor, wealthy, and races varied and incomprehensible greeted my sight. I wasn't certain, but I thought it possible these people were here to see me. People that weren't deemed important enough, powerful enough, or ranked highly enough to wait inside. Already angry, this disparity in treatment between those entitled and those not only fueled my fury. I had had enough. Choosing to begin as I intended to go on, I decided to address the crowd. I am Mac de Belleros, I said, voice ringing loudly to make sure those gathered could hear. Prince of the Seely, Prince of the Unseely, Prince of the Sea. Ascended today and bearing the full and true bloodline of the god Belaros. My aura expanded at this proclamation, enveloping any that fell within a radius of 15 feet. It seems Lord Kell and Lady Patricia forget their responsibilities and duties, owed when offering guests rights. Twice, I have been the victim of assassination attempts. I have been kidnapped and transported against my will to the Summerlands where a portal lock had been placed to block my passage. And do they make up for these slights? No. Instead, they offer insults and indignities. Mac, what are you doing? Do you think it's a good idea to make a public enemy of Lord Kell? His people will report to him what you say here. I didn't care about the repercussions. I didn't care about Lord Kell's reputation. And I didn't care if they knew about the insults and attacks. I was done. Done allowing these people to continue treating me and carried by proxy with contempt. And no amount of obsequiousness or pleading was going to change my mind. Pretending to ignore their treatment had only allowed matters to worsen. Lord Cal and Lady Patricia may not know I'd overheard their conversation, but I had. They were complicit in and part of the reason Thom had acted as he did. I couldn't prove it. Yet. But Olympians involved in this? They just happened to be in place to conduct an operation inside 
What should have been the most protected building in the Fife? Lord Kell and Lady Patricia were either being used or conspiring with Zeus. Their motivations were beyond my understanding. For now. It may not be a good idea, I informed Carrot. But at this point, what is the alternative? Remain? Accept the insult? Allow myself to be used in whatever scheme they are involved in? No. We are already enemies. They know it. Now I know it. They have made sure of that. Since they forget their duties and obligations to guests, as well as those ranked, that they offer succor, I said, once again addressing the crowd. We choose to remove ourselves from their influence. If one of you can lead me to a suitable inn, I will begin meeting with those of you who have gathered and wish to consult with me. Mac, Carrot decided not to argue with me while drawing my attention to an individual in the crowd. To the right, 50 feet, third row. The woman in purple, the female Boggan. She may be able and willing to help. Her name is Jenny. She was kitchen staff, one of the cooks, when I was younger. She was instrumental in caring for me before Lord Kell was ordered to educate me, until age five when Duke Adoin discovered how I was being treated, I thought of her as mother. She was fiercely protective, and even went Bogart twice in anger over how some sea treated me. To be capable of releasing the rage that a Bogart can harness is a scary thing to behold. There is no more powerful creature than a Bogart, enraged. They are berserkers, armed with potent heart magic that is capable of leveling a castle. She vanished from the keep at the same time I was installed in rooms more suitable for a young Seelie. I never knew why she left, or where she went. I haven't seen her in over a decade, but if anyone can be trusted in this mob, it's her. Jenny? I said tentatively, not knowing exactly who Carrot was pointing out. There were a few women in purple. What the hell was a bargain? You wanted to see me? I asked, directing my question towards her location. What's a bargain? I asked Carrot. Boggins a sea, small in stature, tied to hearth and home. The myth that has been passed down says they were created of mortal dreams, individual sparks that lived and danced in the dreaming. They were created as a gift for those mortals that longed for a means to protect and nurture their homes and families, to turn back the darkness and hold fast the light. They serve the light, not good or evil, the light. They are strongest during the night, so that they can protect the home fires from any creature that would use the cover of darkness to harm those they consider theirs. They are slavishly loyal, enjoy finding and keeping secrets, and are talented cooks for the hearth they have claimed as home. They are ancient enemies of the Formians, giant beings cast out of the dreaming and sundered from those realms and the Summerlands. They protect and serve faithfully, dedicating their lives and craft to those they consider kin and kindred. They are dreams made flesh, beings of light that serve and fight the darkness. And this Boggan loved me fiercely. A shy woman, short by human standards, even more so compared to the Seelie, stepped forward tentatively, approaching me warily, uncertainly. She was a mix between a gnome and dwarf, the stockiness and hardiness representative of dwarves, with the delicacy and beauty found in gnomish women. Her eyes were oversized, 
and a blue so light as to be almost crystalline and faceted. Her white and coiled hair gathered tightly in a crown of braids. And most amazing of all, she had four ears, tufted and elvish one directly behind the other, a matched set that framed her delicate face and transformed her beauty into an innocence that was reminiscent of kittens and puppies, a sweetness to her features that brought a smile of delight to my face. Opening my arms in welcome, Jenny's face broke out in joy as she smiled widely and ran to embrace me. Kneeling, I hugged the woman tightly, oddly grateful to the kindness she had shown Carrot. Her smell was soothing. Home-baked bread, ginger snap cookies, a pot purry of smells that delighted the senses and soothed the psyche. The hug went on for a few moments as I felt the tunic on my chest grow wet. Leaning back, I saw a strange dichotomy. Jenny's wide smile, her obvious happiness, juxtaposed with tears and eyes filled with longing and pain. Jenny? What's the matter? Are you all right? I asked. All right. I'm fine, your highness, she answered. But just look at you. You've grown up to be a fine man. And a prince? My heart is overflowing with joy. You have no idea how worried I have been for you all these years. You're all right, aren't you? Everyone has heard about what happened. About how you vanished without a trace? I and others have been standing vigil here, hoping, she said. No one had any idea where you were gone, but I knew. I knew that you would be back. I had faith that the little boy that was so resolute and stubborn would return, Jenny declared. She spoke with an Irish brogue, an accent that suited her appearance and nature perfectly. I honestly wouldn't be surprised to have her decide to serve me a bowl of stew and a mug of ale on the spot. She was lovely and perfect. Giving her one more hug, quick and tight, to assure her everything was fine, I stood up. It looks like I'll be needing a new temporary dwelling. I sent my vassal out earlier to scout the area for one that I could use to hold interviews. But it seems serendipitous finding you here. Do you know of a suitable inn I can use until other arrangements are made? I might know of a place that might work. My family owns a few hostels, inns and hotels. I think I know the perfect place, somewhere suitable for a sea prince, she said, reaching out to grab my hands and drag me away. The guards that had been surrounding me moved to intercept her. I wasn't sure if they were concerned that Jenny may be a part of some nefarious plot or if they just wanted to stop me from leaving. Considering the hugs and obvious delight I had demonstrated, their motives didn't matter. I clasped Jenny's hand firmly as I glared at those guards, making it obvious that I would brook no interference.